Welcome to the Rock of Ages Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Duke Backus. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit rockofagesaog.org. According to this news item, the Metropolitan Insurance Company received some unusual explanations for accidents from its automobile policy holders. And these are just a few. I want to read them to you. This one guy said that an invisible car came out of nowhere and it struck his car and then it disappeared. That was one of the, you know, policy excuses. Another guy said, this other car collided with mine without warning me of his intentions. That's pretty lame, right? Okay. The next person said, I've been driving my car for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident, right? This other guy says, as I reached an intersection, a bush sprang up and it, and it obscured my vision. Is that believable? Anybody buying these excuses? Another one says, I pulled away from the side of the road and I glanced at my mother-in-law and then I headed over the cliff. Amen. All right. <laughs> The next one says the pedestrian had no idea. Hold on. Some of you, I think, interpreted that the wrong way. (laughs) Listen to what it said. He said, I glanced at my mother-in-law and I headed over the cliff. It's just an excuse. Okay? Has nothing to do with me. The next one. The pedestrian had no idea which direction to go, so I ran over him. The next one says the telephone pole was approaching so fast that I attempted to swerve out of its path when it struck my front end. This other one says, this guy was all over the road and I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. Now, these are all excuses that are probably unbelievable, right? Many of you wouldn't buy these. Many of you would be like, that can't be true. You know, a bush doesn't just spring up in the middle of a road, right? And there's a saying that says this about excuses. It says, excuses are like armpits. Everyone has one, and they all stink. (laughs) Isn't that true? And this passage, I want us to understand something. This passage gives us a very clear invitation to mankind, and it gives us a very clear understanding of the flimsy excuses that people make towards God and not accepting the invitation that God has made towards us. Amen? The Lord has called each and every one of us. The the great supper has already been prepared. It's already been laid out through the death, the life, uh, you know, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Amen? And the invitation to this great banquet has been made available through Jesus. And so this scene that we're talking about is known as the great supper of God. Now, Jesus, while he was still at this feast of this chief Pharisee, when Jesus mentioned the resurrection in verse 14, all of a sudden, some of the Pharisees, they broke forth in a joyful praise, and they said this, Blessed is he that shall eat the bread in the kingdom of God. And and, and verse 15, what the Pharisee meant by saying that was this, was that, that Pharisee meant that there was a Jewish picture of the great Messianic feast, and the feast was to be given by God for his people when he set up his kingdom on earth. So Jesus, knowing what this Pharisee is thinking and how this Pharisee saw himself and the Jewish nation 
as being the only ones invited to this great supper of God. So Jesus is interpreting his heart. He's, he's interpreting what this, this man is thinking. And so no outsider, no Gentile, no serious sinner would ever be invited as a guest at this table. And so Jesus knew what was in the mind and in the heart of the Pharisee. So he sets out to correct the misconception of the great supper of God. And so there's a few things to note here. The great supper of God will be held. That is, the Pharisee understood this one thing. He understood that it was right in his picture that there would be a great gathering and a feast in the resurrection of Christ. But the second thing is the great supper of God will include guests from the highways and the byways. It will include guests from the countries and it will include guests from the lands, the lame, the crippled, the maimed, and the blind. See, the Pharisee thought that they were the only ones. They were the royal people that were invited to this supper. And can I speak to you just for a moment, church? Sometimes we get comfortable in thinking and believing that, that heaven was only meant for people inside the church. Sometimes we, we lose sight of what the plan of God actually is and we think that, you know what, heaven is only created for those that will sit inside of a church building and listen to a sermon. But Jesus makes it very clear here in the same way that he made it clear to the Pharisee. He wants us to understand that his invitation to this great banquet in heaven, this invitation to receive salvation is for all mankind. Amen. Every single person, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every age. It doesn't matter. It's been made for every single person. Let's read verse uh, 17 again in Luke 14. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. That phrase, everything is now ready, means that Christ purchased salvation for all mankind. Through his death and his resurrection, that meant that everything's ready. The work is finished. Amen. The work is finished. It's already ready. The provisions for God's great supper have now been secured and are awaiting guests to accept the invitation. And the invitation is to many people. The many are those who would hear the gospel. Amen? The many are those who would hear the gospel, you know, from a church, a preacher, a witnessing believer, through social media, through the radio, television, by reading the word of God. The many are all those who would hear, see, or read the gospel and who would receive a personal invitation to receive Jesus. And so this invitation is to be accepted by all. Amen? But this is the most critical point. The servant, listen to me carefully, he was sent to them who were already invited first. They had been invited before and they had already accepted, but now they were being told to come. There's a difference. How many of you know what an RSVP is? Amen? You've been given an invitation. You have the invitation in your possession. Now it's up to you to actually attend. You could say you're going to attend, but here's the real deal. Are you going to show up? Right? You can check off the box, you know, I'm going to come. I'm going to show up. But are you actually going to be there? Amen? And this is really important because 
These people had claimed to have accepted God's invitation, but only by their profession, only by saying that they were going to accept the invitation, but they weren't actually preparing to attend. They weren't cleaning up, they weren't getting dressed up, and they weren't getting ready for the Great Supper. You see, there's a lot of people in this world that say they believe in Jesus. But there's a lot of people that aren't ready for the banquet. There's a lot of people that will quickly say, oh, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And they'll put it on their social media bio. They'll put it out there. They'll put a sticker on the back of their car that says what church they attend. And it looks like really nice stuff. It looks like things like, oh, yeah, you know, they believe in Jesus. But are they dressed like Jesus? Are they living like Jesus? Are they clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit? Are they walking like Jesus? You see, when you're walking like Jesus, then you're clothed like him. You're clothed with the anointing and the power and the spirit of the resurrected Christ. Matthew 22 and verse 14. For many are invited, but few are chosen. Mark 7 and 6. He replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain, and their teachings are but rules taught by men. Titus chapter 1, verse 16 says, They claim to know God, but everybody read this, but by their what? Their actions, they deny him. Now, hopefully we've never met a Christian like that, <laughs> but the chances are we probably have. I'll say it one more time. Hopefully we've never met a Christian like that, but the chances are we probably have. We've met people that through their actions they deny Jesus. It goes on to say they are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Now, like I said a moment ago, you don't have to look very far to, to see many, many people say they profess Christ as their Savior. That's an easy thing to say. Amen? It's an easy thing to acknowledge the fact that Jesus died for our sins, and therefore he has become our salvation, right? That's an easy thing to do. But how many of us, you know, can also see that there's millions that have professed Christ, but many are not getting ready? That's they're not preparing their hearts. Can I remind you just for a second that we are the bride of Christ, amen? We are the bride of Christ, and, and uh, I remember, I'll just go back in my memory and take you down a path for just a moment, but I got married right here in this sanctuary in August 24th of 2007. And it was, yeah, praise the Lord, amen. But I got married to, to my wonderful wife. Say hello, wife. There she is, okay. She's so quiet, doesn't say much. I say enough for both of us. So anyways, we got married, right, in August 24, 2007, and we got engaged, I believe, it was September 15th. Is that correct? Okay, cool. All right. <laughs> got some points on the board for Mr. Backus. All right. In 2006, so we were engaged almost an entire year. Now, I'll just say this. In the scope of, uh, you know, the length of however long our marriage will be, you know, I pray it's many, many, many more years. We're 15 years in at this point. We spent an entire year, almost an entire calendar year, just preparing for this one day. A year for one day. 
And if we think of our life just for a second, and we think of how our life is literally like a grain of sand in, 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 in the spectrum of time. You know, if we're lucky, we'll be here 75, 80 years, amen, alive. If, if we're blessed, we'll be here. For me, you know, I'm shooting for 70. If I go beyond 70, they're all bonus years after that. Because uh, my family line doesn't go too far past that. So if I'm in my 70s, 80s, and 90s, dude, I'm winning. But here's the deal. If I have 70 years on earth to prepare for this great wedding that's going to last in eternity, these 70 years are nothing in comparison to an eternity. Amen? That means I've got a lot of preparation to do. That means I got to get ready. That means my heart has to get ready. That means I have to allow the work of the Holy Spirit to just go to work in my life. I have to open my heart and say, Lord, work on me. Work on me so that I'm not a person, Lord, that my actions deny you. So that we're not a people, God, where we are, you know, living in a, in a complete, you know, opposite way of how you've taught us to live. Luke 14 and verse 18, it says, but they all alike began to make excuses. Everyone had been invited to the banquet. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. He was really excited to go see dirt. He was really excited. He's like, oh man, I got this field. Let me go stare at my dirt. Let me stare at this land, this piece of land that I have. Now it was a little more important than that because back then the land was, was literally what they would use to, to plant seed and to plant crops for a future harvest. So the land was important. Like, I get it, right? Like, it was his investment. It was something that he was counting on to provide for his future. But the fact was, was this man was too involved in his business. This man was too involved in his business. Now, listen, anybody can become too involved in any business, but not just the business of developing property or farming. A person's business, their profession, and their affairs should never be allowed to consume our life. It should never be allowed to consume our life. It should never be like this thing that literally swallows up your life. God is to be the center of a person's life. Amen? He is to be, you know, the one around whom all else revolves. It should never be the other way around. It shouldn't be that your job dictates your life. Oh, well, you know what? I'll rest when I got a day off. I'll rest when, you know, we got another holiday coming up. And I realize, you know, you know those of us that have you know, jobs that we work for a living, like the Lord understands. But listen, there's a place in your heart where that job can become an idol. There's a place in your heart where that job can become so centric in your heart, it can consume your life and it can pull you in because now all you're doing is you're not living for God, you're living for the paycheck. You're living for the money. You're living for the advancement. You're living for the promotion. You're living for the next big boom in your business. Matthew 6 and 26 says, what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Luke 8 and 14 says this, the seed that fell amongst the thorns, it stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked 
by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. They don't mature. Why? Because what? The, they're choked by the worries of this life. There's a lot of people that think that the, if they just earned a little bit more, everything would be okay. If you just made a little bit more, if, if you just got that next raise, if you just had an extra couple hundred dollars in the bank every month, like, like everything would be okay. No, it won't. Because the next time you get that next hundred dollars, that won't be enough. It's like a pit of quicksand. Before you know it, you're just going to continue to sink because there's something that the Lord wants us to understand in a season of lack is that he is faithful. Amen? He is faithful. He's not going to let you drown. He's not going to let you sink. The Lord is faithful in everything that he does. And so our trust shouldn't be in what we're able to get and earn. Our trust should be in the one who's earned everything for us. And that's through Jesus. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 22 says this. What does a man get for all of the toil and the anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All his days his work is pain and grief. Even at night his mind does not rest. He says this too is meaningless. You see, the things that we labor for, usually for our families well-being and, and, you know, the well-being of, of our livelihood, they should never come at the cost of selling God the short end of yourself. They should never come at the cost of, of giving God less of your time. How many of you, you know, worked an eight-hour day today? Probably most of us, right? You know, you, you put in, you know, eight, ten hours at your place of employment. That's great. And I, and, and I understand that we have to do that. But like, where was the Lord in our day? It baffles my mind that people would struggle to come to an hour and a half service when they give eight, ten hours a day at work. And then they give another, you know, portion of time to certain things. It's like, where does God fit into your, to your time, into your life? Is he squeezed out because your schedule's so full? And your agenda it has to be met and all these things? Or is there room for the Lord to work? The second excuse that we see in Luke 14, verse 19, another one said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out, so please excuse me. So this man we see is wrapped up in his new purchase of cows. He's really excited because he's got some new herds of animals, and he's ready to try them out, and I believe that sometimes this could look like in the modern day for us, it could look like, you know, you purchase a new house, a home, a, a new vehicle, you know, a new phone, whatever, things that, that you like, possessions and things that you have. And those things actually, if you give yourself over to them, they can consume your life. They can. Every one of us can think of somebody that's purchased something that actually took them away from God. Trust me, I know many people like that. Buy a car, and next thing they know, they don't come out from under the hood. It's like, what are you doing with your life? Think about it. If we're here 60, 70 years, people, if we're, not, if we're even here to tomorrow, how have we prepared our hearts? 
How have we prepared our hearts to receive Jesus? These people had their new possessions and they wanted to try them out. There's this awesome quote from Pastor Chuck Swindoll and it says this. There's nothing wrong with having nice things, but trouble begins when nice things have us. Amen. There's nothing wrong with having nice things. I love nice things. Amen. Nice things are a blessing. Nice things make you feel comfortable. It's nice to have a car that works, you know. Those are great things. I get it. I had a, many cars that didn't work. Many cars when I was younger and in college and stuff that left me on the side of the road. I know what that's like. So having a reliable car is a blessing. It's truly a blessing. Amen. But guess what? Even that car, as reliable as it is, it's never going to drive me into heaven. It's never going to get me there. It doesn't have that kind of gas mileage, nor does it have that ability. Amen. Titus 2 and 11 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, and it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. I think sometimes we gloss over the fact that the word actually says no to ungodliness. Like, we're pretty good as Christians and believers of saying, you know what, we know that sin, so I'm going to stay away from that. I know that, you know, oh, man, I'm not going to go to the club and I'm not going to drink alcohol. There's certain things that I'm going to refrain from. But the part that we skip over sometimes is we skip over worldly passions. What are the worldly passions? What are those things? It's what the world strives for. It's what the world desires. It's what the world goes after. And it could be everything from lust to, to you, know, you know, jobs and finances. It could be all kinds of things. And here's the deal. The Lord is saying, listen, salvation has appeared to all men. And it teaches us to say no to these things. I wish as believers, and my prayer for us is this, is that we'd get better at saying no to the right things and say yes to the right things. We'd learn how to actually apply this. Because sometimes we say yes to the wrong things and no to the right things. God tells you to be a witness, and he says that he's empowered you with the Holy Spirit. You say no. No, God, I'm not going to tell anybody about Jesus. I'm too afraid. But then when somebody wants to say, hey, let's go watch this movie that's full of a bunch of junk and a bunch of nastiness. Yes. That was a good time to say amen. Or you're on the internet and you're scrolling through the internet and you're listening to stuff that you shouldn't even be listening to. You're watching stuff that you shouldn't be watching and you give it your yes. When are we going to start saying no to the things of the world and no to ungodliness? It says it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled. Everybody say self-controlled. Upright. And godly lives in this present age. That doesn't mean like it was just powerful for them 2,000 years ago. It means that God's given you the ability to live upright and holy in a blameless life now. Amen. Today, when there's all kinds of sin running rampant. God has given us the ability to live as a child of light in a darkened world today, church. I saw one of the sickest things come across my social media feed today. And I won't even begin to describe it to you because it was the most grotesque and the most offensive thing I've ever seen in my life. 
but they were mocking Jesus, and I'll leave it at that. And it absolutely frustrated me in the greatest way. It bothered me so much to see how blatant people are in the day and the time that we're living in. The devil is not hiding, church. The devil is not like, you know, just sneaking around like a serpent on the ground. He's blatant and out in the open for all to see. And if our spiritual eyes are open, then we will actually say, you know what? That's Satan. I'm not going to mess with that. I'm going to resist the devil, and the scripture says that he will flee. But we have to apply what we are learning, church. Parents, let me empower you just for a moment. Guess what? As a parent, you have the ability to unplug a television. Say amen. You have the ability to take away the phone. You have the ability to shut off the computer. You have the ability to unplug the internet. Because if those things are destroying the lives of your children, listen, do not enable sin in your home. Amen. Don't enable it. Some of y'all keep shopping at stores and you're giving them your money left and right. And guess what? They stand for everything else but God. And yet, here's my wallet. Here's my money. You're funding the agenda of the enemy. Listen to me carefully tonight. And why? Because it's convenient for you to pop in that store? Come on. We can do better, church. We can do better, amen? As the children of God, we have to live by the standards that the Lord has set for our life, bar none. Amen. That's the end of the argument. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says this, do not love the world. I'm not getting comfortable here. I told my wife the other day, we were thinking about selling my truck, and I said, you know what? It means nothing to me. It's a blessing. I'm thankful for it. But guess what? I'm not attached to it. I'll sell my house today. I'm not attached to the things of this world because, number one, my master gave me everything. And guess what? He'll give me another house. He'll give me another car. So I'm not attached to anything because, guess what? I know the Lord will provide. I don't have to cling to things in this world because guess what? The day the scripture said, Job said it. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. I'm not taking anything from this world with me. You're not taking anything, just in case you didn't know. Sorry, there's no luggage going up to heaven with you. Right? You know, so here, I'm taking my bank account with me. No, you're not. It's staying here and your kids are going to spend it all. Just kidding. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, listen to this. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Whew. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's time to stop loving the world. It's time to stop loving the world because I want the love of the Father to be in my life. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Can somebody say amen? See, we cannot love what we have materially more than we love who God is masterfully in us. 
We cannot love what we've got in this world more than we love the master and the lover of our souls. Amen. We cannot cherish our prized possessions more than we cherish our prized prince of peace. Our excuses will not hold up before the throne room of God and our decisions will speak for us. Amen. Our decisions will speak for us. Let me prove it to you. Matthew 12 and 36. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word that they have spoken. For by your words you will either be acquitted or by your words you will be condemned. But the man who does the will of God will what? Live forever. The third excuse was this. There was still another man that was too wrapped up in his family. This man had just gotten married. Now, what a blessed man he was. I remember when I got married. I was a blessed man. Still a blessed man. But the scripture teaches that he was not to put that before God. He wasn't to exalt his marriage in an idolatry way. The man should have prepared for the great feast before marrying. Nothing, family, friends, or important social functions should be before attending the great supper of God, which is ultimately in heaven. Luke 14 and verse 33. Jesus says, in the same way, any one of you who does not give up everything that he has, that's work, jobs, friends, family, possessions, pride, they cannot be my disciple. So there is a disqualification to be a disciple of Jesus if we hold on to stuff. You who does not give up everything. I can be honest with you and tell you I've given up everything. Yeah. All kinds of stuff. All kinds of stuff. Because at the end of the day, I just want to know him. I just want to know him. And guess what? Whatever I have. It's not worth holding on to if that means that I lose him. I'm willing to let go of anything so that I get him in return. Amen. Jesus will either be Lord of all or Lord of nothing at all. He's a jealous God and he will not settle for second place in our life. Amen. Deuteronomy 10 and 12, it says, And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. Amen? Did you know that anything that is before God is an idol? Anything that is above God in our life, anything that takes precedence or priority in our life above God has become an idol. That is, even a man like this new married man that the scripture speaks of, who listened to his wife more keenly than he listened to God is not prioritizing God. Now, man, I'll just say this to you, those of you that are married, those of you that are not married and wish to get married. Your, voices, your wife's voice sounds awfully close to the voice of God. Just saying. But it's not the voice of God. She's to be adored and honored and, and blessed and, and to be loved and sacrifice everything that you've got for her. But guess what? She's still not God. Amen. She's still not God. We should love our wives as Christ loved and sacrificed for the church and gave all that he had. But when it comes 
to doing the will of God. Nothing nor anyone should deter us from ultimately pleasing God. Amen. Luke 14 and 21. So it says, the servant came back and he reports to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Did you know, church, that the Lord becomes angry at the busy guests who make excuses? The Lord's not okay with this. That is, he's made the invitation. He says, you have the option to accept the gift of my son. You have the option to one day You know, be with me forever in eternity. And guess what? If they're not, they don't want to receive it, let's move it on. He gave you the option. Doesn't mean that he stops loving you. It just means that he's going to leave the invitation on the table right there. And he's going to go find somebody else to offer the invitation to. Amen? The guests who rejected showed both unconcern and contempt for that invitation that was on the table. That is this, is that they showed unconcern over the great cost to God in preparing and providing all things, which was the death of his son. And the great cost and price that he had paid was of little, if any, concern to them. It baffles my mind when we talk about Jesus and we talk about what he has done for us and there's like zero emotion from people. It really baffles my mind. It blows my mind, in fact. I say, I say to myself, I say, Lord, how can our hearts be some, so callous, become so callous to what it was that you've done for us? If you're not brought to tears and your heart is not like ripped in two every time that you think of the fact that he bore your sins in his body, that he took his, the punishment that we deserved upon his back. All of the things that they did to Jesus, church, he stood in our place. And if that doesn't move your heart somewhat or open your eyes or cause a tear to fall from your, on your cheek, then I don't know what will. And it's almost as if there's a scripture that says that, you know, it's like trampling on the blood of Jesus. It's insignificant to you when it was shed for your life. It becomes insignificant. People don't value it anymore. And these people in this invitation, they didn't value what had been done for them. They showed contempt in in that they had deceived God somehow. That is, they accepted the first invitation, but they never began to prepare themselves for the feast. They never got ready, church. Not a single one of the guests who rejected his invitation were ever allowed to taste the supper. Think about that. There's a lot of people that may profess Jesus. But listen to me, church. If they do nothing and they never accept him and they never are allowing him to transform their life, they will never taste of the supper. They will miss out. They will miss out for many Oh, Lord, we prophesied in your name. Lord, we cast out devils in your name. Lord, we fed, you know, the hungry. We, we, we you, know, you know, helped the sick. Lord, we, you know, did all these things. And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. That's a scary warning, church, but let it be a warning. Nonetheless, while there's still time for us 
Still time for us by the grace of God. I, I'm so thankful for, I believe it's 2 Peter 3, 9. that says the Lord is not slow, as some understand slowness, but he's, he's patient and he's waiting for us to come to repentance. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Ephesians 5 and 5 says, For of this you can be sure no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And so what happens next in this parable is for us tonight. It's God's plan to reach the world. It goes on to say in verse 21 of Luke chapter 14, So the servant comes back and reports to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, What you've ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads in the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. So if you're taking notes tonight, I want you to write this down. Number one is this, the Lord's plan will not be stopped. Listen to me carefully. The Lord is going to find somebody whom he can work through. Amen. If the Lord had to use a donkey to, to stop Balaam, you know, from, from, you know, cursing God's people and all that stuff that he did, the Lord can use anybody. And that means that the plans of God will be fulfilled. Amen. He has planned a feast and no one is going to be allowed to stop it. That means that there is awaiting us a day and there is coming a day, church, where we're going to rejoice in heaven and we're going to be taken up to be with the Lord forever. That is a fact. It's going to happen. And guess what? Jesus is coming soon. Amen. I need us to understand that with urgency. So the clock is ticking every day for the return of Jesus. The clock is ticking. And guess what? His servants, you and I, must follow his clear instruction. We must follow his clear instruction. Go. That's what he said. He said, go. In other words, it's time for the church to get up and to move on. Because you know what? Some people have made up their mind, and you're still stuck with them. You're still trying to drag them along like dead, like dead baggage and dead branches into heaven with you. And listen, they've made up their mind. There's people that have made up their mind. But guess what? There's still some that are willing to accept the invitation. And I want to say this because you know what? I believe we all know somebody that's maybe they haven't received Jesus yet and you're still praying for them. I'm trusting in Jesus' name that their heart will turn to the Lord. Amen? We can't choose that for them. They have to make that decision. But listen to me carefully. Don't get hung up on the one that won't. Go to the one that will. Jesus gave us really, really clear instruction. Amen? He gave us a clear path to follow here. The second thing is this, the Lord, the Lord will fill his banquet hall quickly. Amen. I believe in the days and the times that we are living in, you know, there's been something that's been prophesied over that there's going to be like a two million soul harvest. In these times that we're living in, I believe that many, many, many people are going to come to Christ. Amen. 
You know, how many of you know that that, that saying that says it always gets darkest before dawn? Like right now, it looks like the sun is not going to rise and it looks like, you know, the world is spiraling out of control. But yet, listen to me clearly, church. The word of God is very clear and it teaches us that there's going to be a great harvest of souls in the last days. Amen. Sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men will see visions. Young men will dream dreams. There's going to be an outpour of the Holy Spirit in the earth that's going to be very, very powerful. And we need to be on board. We need to be listening. We need to be ready because the Lord is going to fill that banquet hall. Amen. But he sends the servant forth and he said, go quickly. Go quickly. Now, that's a challenge to all believers because the Lord is saying, I want the job done. I want it done. You need to go out. You need to get out. You need to work. You need to serve. You need to believe. You need to lead people to Jesus. There's an excitement that comes into your heart when you think that the Lord's like, okay, let's do this. Let's do this. There's souls to be saved. But at the same time, the Lord is showing us urgency, church. Urgency. You might say, well, Pastor Duke, he said that 2,000 years ago. We just opened this word today, and guess what? It's still for today. For today is the day of what? Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. So he's saying the table has been set. My son's body is the bread and his blood is the wine. And the food is coming out to be served. And the party is about to get started. So fill up the seats. That's find somebody. That's go to the highways and the byways. The sick, the crippled, the blind, the lame. The servant is to go out into the streets and the lanes of the city. That is, you are to leave the life of your homes and your luxurious, self-sufficient, worldly-minded, all those things. We're supposed to leave that stuff and we're supposed to go out from amongst the acceptable and the established to reach the people of the streets and the highways. I want you to just look around you tonight. See all these purple chairs? Everybody say there's room for more. Say it like you mean it. Say there's room for more. See, this is just the foyer of God's banquet hall. This is just a little tiny piece. This is just a little corner of, of what a picture of heaven is going to look like one day. Amen? But for now, we are to find and we are to reach those who are living life outside of the will of God. I can tell you, church, because I've, I've had the privilege and the honor of, of ministering in Mexico before with with my wonderful sister Pearl that's sitting in the back there. Would you give the Lord a praise for her? I love her. She has a tremendous, tremendous heart for souls. And I remember a few times she was able, this was many years ago, she was able to escort our youth ministry over there. And we got to just go right across the river and, and minister to people. And, and I remember it was, it was so special because, you know, you'd see people that are literally minutes away from us, but they're living in a completely different world. I mean, the things that they have access to and the things that, you know, the conditions they have to live in, it's, it's night and day. And I remember when I came back from, from this particular, you know, trip that we went over there and we were, we were distributing food and clothes and we were, you know, we got to show the Jesus film and, and uh, I, I'll share this story. Sister Pearl um, lovingly embarrassed me and asked me to play guitar and sing uh, in this in this little church that they had there, and and uh, I'm not that good with my Spanish, <laughs> but I still sang this song. Um, 
I think I sang the only song in Spanish that I knew how to play on guitar. And it was that song that says, Ven, Espíritu, ven, lléname, Señor, con tu precioso unción. And I start singing, and I remember seeing these people that had nothing be so hungry for God. And before I know it, this whole place, all these little voices, these children, these families, these people that were there were just singing louder than, than I could even sing. And it was the most powerful thing, and it taught me something, church. You see, the people that have it so made and so well in this world, they're wrapped up in it. But those who have nothing, they're so willing to place their hope and their faith in this creator that they know because they live day by day trusting in this creator. They live day by day to say, you know what, I don't know where my next meal is going to come from, but I'm so thankful because God, you provided something. Amen. And like, I remember I came back from that trip and the Lord gave me this message called like reaching the reachable. And it was something like where the Lord had just tugged my heart in such a way and, and it, I'm tearing up just remind, being reminded of it because I saw something that the Lord was trying to teach us here and that is this, is that sometimes church we're trying to do it our way instead of his way. Because I guarantee you right now, if you went to the highways and the byways and you went to the colonias and you went somewhere and you said, you know what, I've got a car that has four seats. I've got a car that has five seats and I'm the only one in it. I want to bring your family to church with me. They would jump in your car. Amen. And all these purple chairs around you would get filled like that. you're still trying to beg your friend that doesn't even care about God, that's, that's cold in their heart towards God, that's backslidden, that's whatever. You're still trying to beg them to show up on a Sunday morning. And God's like, who's reaching the reachable? Who's reaching the ones that I'm calling you to go to to fill my house? He says he is to bring in the poor. That is those who, who lack, you know, they, they will accept these things. He's asking us to bring in the maimed and the lame. Those who need support and love from the church. He's asking us to care for them. He's asking us to bring in the blind. Those who need to be guided and directed. The Lord is giving us instructions, amen? And Matthew 9 and verse 11 says this, when the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. He said, and go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. There's reachable people in this world, amen, and they need Jesus just as much as the next person, amen? And the Lord demands a stronger effort even still. The Lord is demanding and commanding us even in this season that we are living in, even still a, 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 a strenuous effort. He's wanting us to go out and find them. He's wanting us to go out and reach them, amen? And so I believe in my heart, church, and the word of God confirms it, that we're going to go out 
and reach this world for Jesus, amen? And if we're going to do it, it's only going to be through the power of the Holy Spirit, amen? Because the last thing I want is to be rebuked by God. The last thing I want is to be rebuked by God for our refusal. Can I say this, church? He is risen, amen? He is alive, amen? The Holy Spirit is at work within us, amen? And guess what? There is room enough for everyone. The sinner and the saint and the lost and the found and the sick and the healthy and the lame and the able, the broken and the mended. His table is ready and his table is waiting. And guess what? The dinner bell is about to ring. Amen. And so guess what? We need to go out quickly and we need to bring somebody in for this great banquet that the Lord has invited us all to. Revelation 22 and verse 17 says, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I love what Elton Trueblood said. He said this, Evangelism is not a professional job for a few trained men, but it, it is instead the unrelenting responsibility of every person that belongs to the company of Jesus. D.T. Niles said this, evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Join us next time for another uplifting message. If you'd like to support this ministry and the reaching out of others, you have the opportunity to give at rockofagesaog.org give.